Swamiji, what do you think about the concept of soulmates? Soulmates. Well, in all of my guru's writings and teachings, he only mentioned it once. But he, he did say that there is such a thing. A soulmate, you can take it as a spiritual partner, but there is more to it than that. Science has discovered that every molecule has its, every electron, I forget what it is, has its counterpart. And no matter where it is, movement of one will cause movement of the other. It makes sense. Everything in this world is dual. And so it seems natural that there would be some one soul. It's, it needn't be of a separate of the other sex. It must not be a sexual union. It must be a spiritual union. It may occur between you and another person on another planet. You may have to see that person in vision. But he said in this one article, I think the reason he didn't talk about it was he didn't want people finding soulmates on every street corner. But uh, there is such a thing. And uh, in, uh, first you have to seek God. As Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God first and all these things shall be added unto you. But in that union with God, that union with the soulmate also will occur. And before you attain final liberation, you meet your soulmate either in, in uh, the inner plane as a vision or in the physical body. But this union between the two so cancels out. Some people are naturally more masculine, some people more naturally feminine, regardless of what their bodies are. And uh, that union of masculine and feminine, in the spiritual sense, it becomes divine union. I know one time, an interesting story. There was a disciple of Sri Yukteswar, my guru's guru, who had this longing for uh, a mate. And yet he was a brahmachari, he had given his life to God. And his guru said to him one time, they were in a train, they stopped at a station, and another train stopped next to them. And the guru said, look in that window. And the boy looked, and there was a woman who somehow fulfilled every desire he'd ever had for feminine perfection. From then on, he was free. He had no desire for a mate. So this is what we mean by soulmate. Swamiji, is the desire for human love a delusion? It's a delusion, yes, because the real desire for love is the love for God. A desire for human love is a, I would say, it's the greatest delusion on the basis of which all other delusions come. That thought that I have to go outside myself begins with the sexual impulse. I have to find fulfillment outside myself. Fulfillment can be found really inside only inside. That love that we're seeking will never find in another person except we find it first inside. So the more you have of that love inside, the more you find that you love everybody. It's not just one soulmate or anything. Even that, that union is just a final refinement. But there comes this point where you just can't help loving people because you know that 
They all want the same bliss that you do. Swami, let me ask a question that picks this up from a slightly different angle because you're speaking of fulfillment inside. Is it wrong to be ambitious in this world? It's better to be ambitious for God. Ambition for most people is wrong because they want, I want to become a star, I want to become famous, I want to become rich, I want to become powerful. All that feeds the ego. But to be ambitious for God, this is another thing. For example, somebody asked me the question one time, recently in fact, um, do you really think you can help all humanity? Um, I said, I know I can't. And yet, I think that it helps me to try to serve humanity with that thought, that I have this deep desire to see everybody in the world uplifted. And I know it won't happen, but I think that that desire is important because it means that I face no limits. Uh, it's an unconditional love. That kind of ambition to want to help other people, to want to be serviceful to other people, this is a good ambition. And it's not inspired by ego, it's inspired by this desire to serve God. And if people have that desire to serve, how can they fulfill it? What do they, how do they, where do they put their energy? I think you have to ask God, because it isn't necessarily your talents that you should explore. For example, somebody may be naturally a very good actor, but if he's going to go to his ego, to his head, you might say, and make him proud, then that's a better course to avoid. So do that which will help your sense of service to other people. And you can ask God, and really, through the guru, he, my guru told me what I had to do. He told me, I have to, have to lecture. And I said, sir, I don't want to lecture. He said, you better learn to like it. It's what you have to do. <laughs> but why did he want me to do that? I knew that it was something I had to do. It was, uh, I knew it on a deeper level. Because I, in many lifetimes, I've, I've he, as he put it, you were eaten up with doubts. Mm. And it was, he said, he used to say, the doubter is the most miserable of mortals, mm. quoting from the Bhagavad Gita. But now in this life, I have overcome that doubt. And I owe it to my fellow man to, to help him to overcome his doubts. Also, there's a deep desire to make things absolutely clear for everybody. And so I think if I have a skill as a teacher, it's that I know how to make things simple, make them obvious to people so that people will say, well, of course. So many teachers try to make things complex to show how profound their own thoughts are. I try to make it as simple as possible so that the least child could understand. Swami, um, relatively few people in this world receive direct instructions. Even, even Yogananda, yeah. I think, didn't instruct very many disciples that specifically, how to know which way to focus. Their... I think in that case, you can only go within yourself and feel what will help you to help other people. Not what will make you more prominent, will boost your fame, make people look at you, but how can I be of service to other people? But service can be of many kinds. Teaching, in my case, 
is a service. I never feel that I'm teaching people. I always feel that I'm sharing with them what little I know. And uh, I think that if you feel a sense of freedom, a sense of release, then you're doing the right thing. If it were wrong, it would go to your head and you'd feel more important, then stay away from that. Stay away from anything that will make you feel more important. But if it helps to expand your ego, then it's good. For an artist who hasn't that ego of wanting fame, to want to be an artist, to want to be a, a famous actor or actress, this is fine if he doesn't want it for himself. To become a great artist as a service to other people, this is good. I know when I was 18, I studied singing. And my singing teacher, she was an old lady, about 75, I was 18. And one day she said to me, I'm only living for one thing, and that's to see you become a great singer. I never went back to her. I thought, I don't want to be a singer. I don't want to be known for how beautifully I sing. But in later years, I found that my voice is a means of reaching and helping people. So with that attitude, I'm happy to. But at that time, I was seeking truth, and I didn't want to be bothered by that kind of thing. I think what helps us to give to other people without the sense of being a great singer, this is worthwhile. And finding that in yourself, um, does it mean going with your heart? Well, your heart can take you in a million wrong directions. I'd say that the balance of heart and mind are very important. The intellect is here, the heart is here. And I think the intellect, your intellect must judge, is this taking you in the right direction or not? Whereas the heart can just get all excited about something and not understand that uh, it's taking you the wrong direction. It's just so difficult not to be led by ego. Yes, it is. In the scripture, the Sriman Bhagavatam in India, there's a technique. There's, uh, it says to think of the heart as a lotus and turn all the lotus leaves upward. When the feelings are disturbed, they go outward, they go downward, they go in all sorts of directions, create all kinds of vortices of uh, pain or joy or rejoicing or anger or whatever it might be. To turn it upward is to turn it toward calmness. We, we must learn that feeling in itself is, is the source of delusion, but calm feeling is enlightenment. In the teachings of Patanjali, who is the exponent on yoga, he defines enlightenment as smriti, memory. When you become completely calm, you remember who you are, where you came from. You remember that you're not this ego. You remember you're not this body. You remember that you're the infinite soul, God, who came into that form. And that memory, that, that uh, um, realizing that, that you're not anything except his own manifestation, his dream. When you can see that life itself is only a dream of God's, then you have freedom. So I think that the main thing that we need to do in our spiritual effort is to see that everything is a dream and enjoy it 
as God's dream. I met a great uh, yogi in Puri many years ago in India. He said, you shouldn't enjoy anything. I said, not even a beautiful sunset. He said, no, nothing. To me, that's a very dry attitude. My guru said, enjoy everything with the joy of God. And so you can see that when anything good happens, or even anything bad, turn it to God. Share it with God. Share the thought with God. When uh, uh, Look at children, they, not in their egotistical or bullying kind of way, but in their openness. And you'll see, that's why Jesus said, Suffer little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. To have that open innocence to everything, to learn what is new as if it were a great mystery. This is the secret of enlightenment. You'll know that you are he when you have that.